0: let's pray loving beautiful father thank you lord father I thank you sort of most for your holy spirit I'm going to rely on him this morning father we do that all the time you give us words that we don't know where it came from lord if we trust in you if we trust in you we have received this holy spirit lord and the holy spirit convicts us it helps us it aids us lord And I pray that Your Holy Spirit would be with me this morning, in Jesus' name, Amen. So um, I came to this church in 2014. Uh, So how long ago was that? (laughs) Five years. Five years in July. um, I was working at this church in the Bay Area for five years before that, from 2009 to 2014, and. Uh, It was a very interesting place. If you've ever been to the Bay Area, it was in Oakland or Piedmont was the the city in particular. If you've ever been to that area, uh, the Bay Area is just weird. (laughs) It's in so many different ways. You know how Lucadia's little unofficial motto is uh, keep Lucadia weird? Well, the whole of the Bay Area really goes for that. That's their their modus operandi. And the church that I worked at was just a really, it was a liberal church is what you can call it. Um, They had some wacky beliefs, and I saw it as a, I was of course an orthodox Christian, meaning I believe in the basics of the Christian faith, that is the Apostles' Creed, that is the five solas, if you know what those are. If you don't, come and ask me, and I'll tell you about it. Um, But it was just a weird place. I saw it as a mission field. Um, and coming off the back of five years at a place like that, um, my wife and I, she, uh, she moved up three years or two years into it, so she lived there for three years with me. Uh, we did long distance for three years prior to that. It was a long, long journey. So coming off the back of working at a mission field uh, to a place like this, it was such a sigh of relief, um, and I felt so blessed and honored. to to be working at a church like this, um, that they would take a chance on a young man who has never had a full-time job in ministry before, Um, because of course I was at that church as an intern working full-time hours uh, doing the job of a pastor but they saw that my experience, they, they heard my philosophy of ministering. And by the grace of God, they decided to hire me. I remember sitting in the office with Raymond, and Raymond said, Dave, come here. You need to talk to this guy. And we had a, uh, about an hour-long conversation in Raymond's office with Pastor Dave there, uh, and we just talked. And I think the story goes as they looked at each other and said, uh-oh, we're kind of in trouble. They had to go to the elder board. They had to go to the hiring committee because they were going to offer a job to somebody else. And I came into this uh, as an unknown. Um, I actually thought I was going to have a job at another church. My friend said, I'm going to hire you as an associate pastor. Uh, And then he came to me and said, I'm sorry, it's not going to work out. A lot of other things happened. But anyways, it it landed me here. Um, And I remember telling them, okay, if I accept this job, we have a vacation that's going to be planned uh, in August. And that was, you know, after five years of that, it it was much needed. But Shortly before we went on vacation, we found out that Tiffany was pregnant. Um, It's going to be hard for me to talk about this. We found out she was pregnant, and we were so thrilled. We did a a cute little thing with my in-laws who are sitting right there. So we're pregnant, and um, it was really amazing. And I think she was about six weeks along, and we... She started bleeding and cramping, and we lost that child. We don't, don't know anything about that child. You know, we, we pray and, and talk to the kids about how they're going to be able to see that kid in heaven. Um, and that was a really, really tough time. So with the backstory story of, of me going on vacation, uh, me, us finding out that we were going to be pregnant, and then losing that child to miscarriage, going on vacation— was literally trying to find joy in a tough situation. That's essentially what James talks about in his first chapter of his book. What James does is what any systematic theologian or scholar would do, is he systematically gives an outline of what the rest of the book is going to be about. And if you know, James is a very short book. It's a letter. It was actually read as a sermon to congregations. So um, I mentioned this before, and... uh, you know, Raymond is is unfortunately out this morning and he said, you're going to pinch hit today. Um, I could simply just read to you word for word the book of James because that's how it was spoken. That's how it was given. Um, so I'm talking about a time in your life where you had to pull joy out of a tough situation. As it's so apropos that the, the youth are coming in, several of them came with us on a trip recently, uh, July 28th. We met here at this church at 4 o'clock in the morning. Aria, is it okay? Is it okay if I talk about this? One of the, one of the students, who will not be named. <laughs> one of the students, uh, she, she said, Tony, I, I literally can't do that. I, I think I'm physically unable to get up that early. And I said, I was very condescending, and I've repented of it. I've talked to her already. She who will not be named. Um, I said, said, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to be condescending. Things are just stressful, right, leading up to a trip. And I said, what I said to her that was condescending was, this is not the first time you're going to have to wake up early. And that's not something you say to a teenager who's going through a lot of anxiety and stress. So, I would said, we need to wake up at 4 o'clock in the morning and meet. And some of you may know that we were headed to a little town in Northern California, just south of San Jose, called Gilroy, California. Um, and you guys, if you've watched the news, if you were connected to us in an intimate way, you know that that afternoon, um, a crazy young man decided to shoot up a garlic festival, of all places. Um, that was something that, of course, we couldn't plan. That was something that we just sort of had to roll with the punches. And that's exactly what I'm doing here. I'm rolling with the punches. And, and the whole purpose of the trip was to reunite with a group of people that we met earlier in April. We did a mission trip with them at Gilroy Presbyterian Church. That's where they came from. We met down here. We drove to Tecate. We worked in an orphanage and an art studio. And they told us about Gilroy. They said, hey, it's a really great place, you know, and they have this Gilroy Garlic Festival. Everyone's involved. You should come up. So that's how it started. And we were going there and said, okay, we're going to go to the Gilroy Garlic Festival, and then we're going to drive straight across east to Lake Tahoe, and we're going to have a retreat, something just for the kids to enjoy. We don't do a summer camp here with the youth, but um, we do a lot of other things. And we said, hey, this is an extra thing that we can do. It's going to be expensive, just so you know. If you can afford it, if you could swing it, we're going to go to Lake Tahoe and have a retreat with this church that we have a relationship with already. And that is finding joy, pulling joy out of a tough situation, because the shooting happened that afternoon. A lot of the students were, of course, understandably freaked out. They narrowly missed the shooting by a couple hours, maybe an hour and a half. We saw all the cops drive by us as we were coming home from the pool. And uh, we were like, what's going on? Then we got to the church where we we're going to, you know, have a slip and slide and just sort of relax. And my friend Josh, who's the youth pastor there, told me what happened. And we had to figure out what we were going to do in that tough situation. His, uh, my friend Josh's in-laws, her, her, his father-in-law used to be the director of the Garlic Festival, and when we went there, him and his wife, Vicki, George, she also went on the mission trip. We saw him and him and, Vicky and, and you know, he had a special badge that said former director. Um, <clears throat> so I'm saying all that to say that that the town of Gilroy, essentially everyone in this town either works at the festival, volunteers, or has a booth there selling something, or they go to it. This is, like, the only thing that <laughs> happens in that town besides smelling like garlic, Right? This is a big deal. So I, I got there, and I, I, Josh told me, and I said, uh, is your wife okay? His wife was there with us. She's pregnant. She said, yes, she's home with her parents. So that was my next question. Are George and Vicky okay? And they were. So he was just, you know, understandably freaked out too, and I said, what are we going to do? You know, I was just thinking, we're going to have to drive back home to San Diego. Um, we ended up going on lockdown that night, Um, not leaving the church, shutting all the windows. The room that they were in didn't have air conditioning. And Gilroy is a hot place. (laughs) It was like 90 that day, and we we had the the fans going, but it was still sort of like sitting in a hot car uh, with the windows closed and the air on. Not the air conditioning, just the fan. (laughs) So it was a tough time, and we had to decide what we were going to do. I had to call each parent individually and tell them what the situation was. I said... We're safe right now. If any of you parents say, bring my child home, we're going to respect that. And by the grace of God, every single parent felt, I was humbled by this, they felt safe where they were with me and with my friend Josh and with Jennifer. She was there too, another adult. Um, And we continued on with this trip, but it was a really tough decision. The decision that was made was based solely on the fact that these young people from the other church had experienced something traumatic, and we needed to extract joy out of that. We needed to take whatever was good in what happened between us between April and July. Whatever is good between what we have done in the name of the Lord, we had to take that, and we had to travel four to five hours to Lake Tahoe, and that's the decision that we made. And it was a weird retreat. It's the weirdest retreat I've ever been a part of. When you think of retreat, you think of getting away from it all. And the students that were there, the Gilroy students, they were literally getting away from it all. Because the night of the shooting, we were just sitting there, watching the news for hours. And if you can imagine having so many people so closely connected to you that has been eyewitness to these things, there were three students who were literally eyewitnesses. They needed to get away from all of that and go to a place where there's very little cell phone reception and be together as the body of Christ. Several of the nights, or we only had two nights there, but the first night we wanted to make a discussion. Hey, let's, let's debrief. What happened to you guys? Share your experience so we can pray for you. And that night just needed to be a funny night. Instead, we played a game and we laughed and there was a little bit of crying. But we tried to extract joy out of that situation. And the reason why we could have done that, I believe, is because of the faith that God puts in us. The faith that I had, the faith that Jennifer had, the faith that my friend Josh has. We serve a God who is bigger than anything, bigger than anything, any circumstance that can be thrown at us. We serve a God who I believe is in control. If you think about someone rolling dice, it's just a crapshoot. I don't know if that's a bad word because it's, it's a game, right? I don't know. Anyways, if you just roll the dice, you see where they lay and you get the numbers that you get. I don't believe that God has a pair of cosmic die in His hand, dice in his hand and he just rolls it and he's like, I hope that something good turns out of it. No, I believe that God is in control of everything. Scripture backs me up on this. This is what James is talking about. This, this book is one of my favorite books of the whole Bible. Because it's so practical. I remember in college I took a class uh, called Practical Theology. Practical or, or philosophy, but like Practical Ministry. Um, and it really shaped the way that I see or saw how I did everything. Before that I was just a volunteer. Before that I was just an intern. I didn't really have... A praxis is what they call it. I was practicing being a minister, but I didn't have any sort of systematic layout of what that would look like. And James here does that. Now, before we go any further, I'm going to try really hard to do this. But James is actually named Jacob. I hope you know this. (laughs) Jacob. Okay, that's his name This is Jesus' half-brother. His name was Jacob and not James. James is a romanticized version of the Hebrew word Jacob. So Jacob equals James. So from here on out, I'm going to call him Jacob. I hope that's not confusing for you. But his name is Jacob. What I planned on doing, because this is a pinch hit right now, (laughs) what I planned on doing was doing a short overview of the series that we're going to start. Uh, Pastor Raymond is starting a series, and it's going to be on James, and, and he's taking it from the perspective of a servant, which is, as I said earlier, is perfect, because last week, if you were here, you're not having deja vu. This is a different sermon. <laughs> last week, if you were here, we talked about Jesus washing the feet of his disciples, being a loss, a slave, a servant. But I'm taking it from a different point of view. If you see my title slide there, it says, James, Faith in Action. James is all about being practical. He is a man after my own heart. If you know me, you know that I'm a little bit impulsive and that I just like to get things done. I don't want to sit and think about it too much. <laughs> and this is why I love this book, is because it's systematically laid out for me. I need that kind of structure. But my, my default is to just do it. If I have the tools, do it. If I don't have the tools, let's make something up. I, I'm thinking of Larry here because Larry is a gentleman and a scholar, literally. He's, he's someone who, who taught himself everything that he knows. He's a self-made man. If you ever worked with him in any kind of project, he has the brain of an engineer, um, but he also has the kind of brain that's like, let's just get it done. If we can't get it done, we're going to modify it. We're going to customize it. It's just going to happen. And I love that about him. But this book, this book is here so that we have a systematic way of thinking about how to live our faith, how to have faith in action. Uh, This first part of James, James chapter 1, talks about how true Christianity endures trials and temptations. Like I was talking about earlier, I was trying to think about how I could have extracted joy out of a tough situation. But they're all actions, all of these things that we're going to go through. So if you have your Bibles... Please take them out now and turn to the book of James, and it's all the way near the end before 1 and 2 Peter and First through Third John and Revelation. So open it up to James, and we're starting in chapter 1. So I'm going to read the passage, and I'm just going to touch on a little, one or two things about it. And that's it. That's what we're doing this morning. And like I said, please have grace with me. I'm pinch-hitting. Um, please also pray for Pastor Raymond as he takes care of what he's going through. Um, just give it to the Lord for him. All right, James chapter 1, this is verse, verses 2 to 4. Before I go on, um, the first verse is amazing. It says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, colon, Greetings. So the, the, this book starts out like any other letter. He says who he is, and then he says who he's writing to, and then he gives a greeting. And this is what James does, or Jacob does. And what's interesting about Jacob, as you know, is that he's the half-brother of Jesus Christ. Being the half-brother of Jesus is like being the half-brother of Jesus. There's no other way to put it. You know, you're living life, and you're like, why can't you be more like your brother Jesus? And you're like, well, because I'm not perfect. J- Jacob didn't know that Jesus was the Messiah. In fact, he didn't even believe it until after the resurrection. I think about that for a moment. and I think about the disciples in the same way too. They literally were in the presence of God. <laughs> and I, I, I give them I give them fault. I, I, I don't give them fault because you know, they, the, Jews, the, the Jewish people had, had a, a particular idea of what the Messiah would be like. And they had no idea, I mean, they, they should have had an idea if they read their word, if they read scripture, because it talks about this, that, that the Messiah wasn't going to come down with a giant sword on a white horse just slashing and killing all of, their, all of um, Israel's enemies. That's what they thought he was going to be like. They didn't think that he would come down, uh, be born a human... In a manger, in literally a barn with animals, uh, grow up, do ministry for three years, do signs and miracles, and die on a cross like that of a criminal. They had, that didn't even come to their mind that that would be a possibility, but that's what happened. So Jacob is saying that he's a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's important because he's recognizing that God the Father and Jesus Christ are one, but separate. I'm not going to get into the mysteries of the Trinity here, but this is important. It's important because Jacob didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah, and here he is saying this to all the world, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Jacob is is talking about, I'm sorry, I'm using interchangeably, Jacob and James, just know what I'm talking about. Um, he, he says this is to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. And we all know that um, God scattered the 12 tribes of Israel. Um, this could be allegory. This could be metaphorical for all of us here. Um, it's called diaspora. It's dispersion. Okay. Um, it means that we're, we used to be all connected and now we're not anymore. And boy, does this have ramifications for what's going on in this world right now. Man, does it. We used to be of one people, and because of our, our lack of humility, because of our arrogance, we, were, we had to be scattered. We had to be dispersed. And it's in this dispersion, it's in the separateness of, of community that we end up being vulnerable to so many things. We end up being vulnerable to attack Not just physical, but especially spiritual. When we are separated, when we say we need to separate these communities, we need to be different and apart from each other. And I say this as a minority, as a brown man. The idea that we separate ourselves from the whites and the browns and the blacks and the whatever, that's not what God intended. He wanted us all to be together, and it's this separation that we want to do, the separation that that we desire, that really is at the root of everything that's happening. I'm not going to try to make this argument this morning, and it's another one of those things. If you'd like to hear what I believe is the problem, please come talk to me. But the the Cliff Notes version is that we are missing Jesus. Okay, so verses 2 to 4 says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. Jacob is saying something really, really hard to hear, I think, sometimes. He's saying, the next time you're going through something difficult, you need to count it as joy. How weird is that? Who here wants to, when they're going through something difficult, wants to shout and jump up for joy and say, I love this! <laughs> we found out our child is dead inside of my, my wife's womb. Was there any part of us that wanted to go, Yes! Yes! That child is in heaven. Even that we didn't want to say. We just wanted to wallow in our own sadness. But Jacob is saying something just so revolutionary here. He's saying consider it pure joy. Whenever you face trials of any kind, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. So he's saying that the testing of our faith, when things happen to us that are bad, This produces an energy, a stamina that is needed to get through this life because there's nothing in this Bible that says you're going to have a perfect life. In fact, it says quite the opposite. If you choose to follow Jesus, people are going to persecute you. Every single one of the disciples except for one faced a a terrible, awful, awful humiliation and death. Every single one of them. The reason why we have this Bible, I have this Bible in my hand right now, is because of the sacrifice of many before me. And all of those people, all of those people who were martyred for what they believe and for what they witness with their own eyes, they saw this suffering as joy. I mean, think of Paul. I think last week we talked, to. he like recounted all the things that he, happened to him. He was shipwrecked, he was beaten, he was stoned, he was, everything happened to him. And he still, he counts it as joy. Think of uh, Job. Gosh, I talk about that a lot. The song, Blessed Be Your Name, that's where it comes from says, after Job lost everything, he says, Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be your name. What? This is a spiritual discipline, guys. This is not something that's going to come naturally to us because when hard things happen to us, we just want to shout out. I mean, look at David. That's what he did. Recently, there have been some things that have been happening in uh, Christian culture today. There have been uh, worship leaders and thought leaders, authors who have renounced their faith. And it's been a big conversation lately. Because what they're doing is they're saying, yeah, all those books that I wrote, all that influence that I had for many decades, I renounce it. I don't believe in God anymore. Why? What's the point of that? David, when he, when he was, was, was questioning whether God was not there or not, He did write that. It's recorded in the Psalms, but he always gave glory to him. He always counted it as joy. And these people, these influencers that are doing that are not doing what David did. They're saying, period. They're saying, I believe this, now I don't, period. They're not like David. I've heard someone recently that said that. Oh, David was questioning his faith. Yeah, he did, but he always brought it back to the God is good. Count it as joy, brothers, because this produces perseverance that we need to get through to this life. So how do we get through trials and tribulations? According to verses 2 through 4, we do it with joy and patience. Write that down, if you have a pen. If you don't, there's one in the pew in front of you, right next to the connection cards, which you can fill out. How do we endure trials and tribulations with joy and patience? Those are verses 2 and 4. Next, Verses 5 through 8. How do we endure trials and tribulations with wisdom from God? Let's read it together. If any of you lacks wisdom, no, no, I'm sorry. I did that again. That's the second time. Please don't read it with me. I'm going to, you know, okay. I did that last week. You guys are so good. Thank you. Right? I wish my daughters would listen to me too. Read this with me. Yes, daddy. Yes, sir. Let's go. Okay. Don't read this in, in, you got it. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it would be given to you. Oh my gosh, guys. Let's read that again. Don't read it out loud. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God because he gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. What does that mean? If you are lacking something in this head, if you are lacking wisdom, if you truly seek it out, ask God, because he gives this wisdom generously to you. Where did Jacob get this wisdom from? He got it from firsthand accounts of watching Jesus live as the half-brother of Jesus, and also from the scripture itself, from Proverbs. This is where this comes from. He says, Just ask, and he will give generously to you without finding fault. God doesn't think, oh, gosh, I have to tell this fool again. No, he gives generously to us if we ask. He says, but when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. If you do have the wisdom to ask God for that wisdom, you must believe wholeheartedly that he can give it to you. Because someone who doubts is like, oh my gosh, it's one of the funniest things. On Vista Way, there's an a, a, a oil change place and it has, it has one of those things that have a fan in it and then the, the guy goes like, you know what I'm talking about? My daughters, every time we pass by it, they go, the man, the man. That's what you're like if you, if you ask for wisdom and you do not believe. You're like, this toy that is just flailing about in the wind how poetic is that it says that person should not expect to receive anything from the lord such a person is double minded and unstable in all they do that's an understatement does anyone have something they can throw at me your phone please <laughs> all of me, okay so so i'm going to try and catch this key from this is <laughs> Wisdom is the key, and I'm the man floating in the wind. It's going to be very difficult for me to go ahead and throw it at me. I really tried. Unstable in all of his ways. Unstable. Think about it for a moment. If you are tossing in the wind, if if you go here and I believe, Lord, I believe, and then you go over here, I don't believe, Lord, I don't believe, or you go over here, I believe, I believe, I don't believe, you're unstable. God wants to throw you some wisdom and you're unable to catch it because you're wishy-washy. You're going back and forth. You're not going to be able to receive it. So you endure trials and tribulations with wisdom from God. Third, you endure trials and tribulations with right perspective. Verses 9 through 11. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. I'm going to read that again. I don't think you heard it. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. Humble means lowly. Jacob is contrasting two different ideas. It shouldn't connect, but it does in the world of God. You should take pride in your high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation since they will pass away like a wildflower for the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. We need to have perspective. And we need to have the right perspective. This mirrors what Jacob is talking about with joy and patience. We should count all these tribulations as joy. And in the same way, those who are in humble circumstances, believers in humble circumstances, should be proud that they're going through a trial. Humble could also mean poor, especially because Jacob talks about being rich in the very next line. It says, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation, Meaning, if you are rich, if you are high in any position, you should be humble enough to take that with humility in your humiliation. That's a weird sentence, but it makes sense. Okay? He's contrasting two positions. If you have, to, if you have the right perspective on where God is pushing you, where he's pulling you, where he's prodding you, then you can endure trials and tribulations. Next, with... Understanding of temptation, okay, so you can endure trials and tribulations with this understanding of temptations, verses 12 through 15. It says, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love them. So blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. If you're going through something and you persevere and you continue to believe, if you ask for the wisdom, God will give it to you as long as you're on stable ground, as long as you continue to believe. It says you will receive a crown of life that the Lord has promised you. This is eschatology and times. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. You have to understand what temptation is. God does not tempt us. We are brought into sin by our own stuff. If we understand where that temptation comes from, then we will be able to endure trials and tribulations because trials and tribulations just aren't things that just happen to us, right? I didn't do anything to cause the miscarriage. I didn't do anything to cause the shooting in Gilroy, and it just happened to us. We're not talking about these trials and tribulations. We're talking about the things that we do nightly. How often does evil exist in the dark? In the light of day, boy, do you feel different. I'm speaking from personal experience. God is still sanctifying me. In the night, man, it's easy to just sin. But during the day when the light is exposing you, you see who you are in the midst of all of this that God has created under his watchful eye. If we understand what temptation is, we can endure trials and tribulations. Okay, next. You can endure this by knowing of God's goodness, ooh, 16 through 18. It says, "Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first-fruits for all of all He created. So he's saying, don't be fooled, my dear brothers and sisters. Everything that you get comes from God. If you know about God's goodness, you will be uh, able to to endure trials and tribulations. I'm going to close with this because we're running out of time. If you understand that every good and perfect gift comes from God, then you can expect that, right? If you're going through something difficult... Maybe there's some, you're going through something difficult right now. I'm sure we all are. How can we look at that and extract the joy from it? I'm going to repeat the things on how you do it. This is, this is something you should write down. With joy and patience, with wisdom from God, with right perspective, with understanding of temptation and with knowing of God's goodness. If we understand completely with our whole heart and our whole mind and our whole body that God is good, then we are able to endure trials and tribulations. That is my prayer and hope for you guys this morning. That you take all the millions of words that I just said and extract one thing from it, that you are supposed to take joy from these trials and tribulations. That we are supposed to understand that everything good comes from God. That even though it's hard, God promises us that if we have this perseverance, it will produce a righteousness that can only come from him. Holy Spirit, thank you. Let's pray. Loving Father, as, um, as we call the worship band up here, Lord, as we sing our last couple songs, Lord, I thank you for your Holy Spirit. This was not planned at all. But Lord, us, the people that you have called for, the church, we had church this morning. I'm so thankful for your love. I'm so thankful especially for your grace, Lord. We, we fail and we fail and we fail and we fail. But you don't see us as failures, Lord. When you look at us, you see Jesus Christ. If we believe in him, Lord. I thank you for that grace. I thank you for that absolute truth. Father, please bless us as we try to put our faith into action, because like I said last week, this faith that we have is a verb. It means nothing if we don't do anything about it. James later talks about faith versus works, Lord, and we know that we are saved by grace and by grace alone. It's nothing that we do, Lord, but The Holy Spirit, the love that we have for you should spur us on to do. And I pray that we would do that, Lord. Help us to endure these these terrible and troubling things that are happening to us in life, Lord. Give us the the strength that we need. Help us to remember that we have this book here to remind us. Father, we give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.